Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Lots to talk about today with the planting uh, progress or lack thereof numbers released yesterday, really painting the picture of this historic 2019 planting season with the uh, delays uh, and just showing how far behind we are in getting uh, the crops planted this year. We'll be talking a lot about that and market reaction to those numbers. Steve Nicholson with uh, Robo AgriFinance will be joining us a little bit later on. Uh, we're still, of course, looking at the, the good news uh, from uh, a few days ago with the lifting of the metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico. Yesterday, we talked with the pork producers and uh, beef producers about that. Today, we'll check in with the dairy industry and talk about the impact of lifting those tariffs uh, for U.S. dairy producers. And uh, there's a lot going on with biofuels. There's a Senate Ag Committee hearing on climate change going on today. Um, the American Coalition for Ethanol has submitted comments to that. A little later, we'll talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. But let's start things off with Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. Uh, big story today, of course, those uh, planting numbers and just uh, really kind of right. brings everything to light. What we knew was going on is the farmers were unable to get to the fields, and we see these numbers, how far we are behind, and look at the weather forecast with even more rain in these next couple of weeks. It's really going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, we were talking about are we going to switch uh, corn acres to beans now? It's just a wonder right. if some of those acres will get planted in anything. Yeah, you know, I guess most notably was was the corn uh, situation. You know, we're at a point now where there's still 51% of the crop remaining to be planted. And so this is by far like the highest percentage we've seen uh, for this time. I think the previous record was about 47%. Um, So, yeah, you start to really look at the numbers and the time that we're drawing out here. Um, You can't help but think that preventive planning is going to have some some uh, huge numbers coming up. Um, you know, I guess it's still kind of a wait and see, but um, it's really hard to remember thinking back, you know, this late into May uh, where we were still talking about even getting the entire crop in the ground. I mean, normally we're looking at, you know, 70, 80% of the crop being planted in general by now, and uh, here we are. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, I, I think the technologies, the seed technologies, everything that agriculture's developed over the decades is, is going to really be tested as we go along here. Yeah, and you look at the areas that are, are way behind, key states like Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, way behind. Now, we have saw some pretty good progress in, in Iowa, but as you pointed out, when you still right. have 51% of the corn crop nationwide to be planted, and here we are uh, May 21st, uh, that that's a huge number. All right, we'll talk more about that later in the program with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. We'll talk about some other things going on, uh, uh, especially in the biofuels arena. Uh, Todd, there are a lot of battles being played out here. Some good news and then some real challenging news. Uh, recently, some good news: the EU lifting its anti-dumping duty on U.S. ethanol. That hopefully opens uh, up a, a, a big market there for U.S. ethanol. Yeah, I think so. You know, we, we've had a lot of, as you said, we've had a lot of tough news coming out uh, in the past year. It's been a hard, hard year for agriculture and ethanol. Uh, but, yeah, the EU Commission uh, decided to drop what was basically a 9.5% duty um, on U.S. ethanol imports. And, you know, before, um, dating back since 2013, if you look at 2012 numbers uh, on exports to the EU from the United States, uh, it was a it was a pretty important and pretty robust market for for U.S. ethanol. Um, I guess the thing going forward now, since we're we're going to see these duties go away, is whether you know a lot of those market relationships and those those markets that were established before all this took place can be reestablished. I think that's kind of the big thing. Um, you know, and as you know, we're still weighing on the whole China issue, and I think that's. That has a very huge potential for uh, for ethanol exports as well. But yeah, when you hear the EU get back on board at a time when uh, you know we need a lot more demand uh, for ethanol and, and ag products in general, um, I think that 
you know, this does have great potential to at least start easing some of the pressure um, on the ethanol industry, which has really seen negative margins, um, you know, in the past six or eight months. Meanwhile, there's been a court ruling against a biofuels group uh, on an injunction to stop EPA's uh, uh, practice of granting these small refinery waivers. And um, yeah. so that's a, that's a step back on that on that front. Yeah, it really is. You know, I think, um, you know, what we're going to see play out going forward here is really, um, you know, this is just going to have to work its way through the court. We're going to have to have some sort of a court uh, decision on this issue because, as you've seen, uh, we haven't had any movement from EPA on this issue. They're sticking they're sticking with the idea that, uh, you know, these, these exemptions they're handing out are not only legal, but they're required because of previous court actions. Um, you know, there's been some suggestion that uh, perhaps that's not entirely true, but um, I think what we're going to see now going, you know, on, on the way down the road here is that, you know, we've got other legal challenges playing out. Um, you know, there's any one of a number of these courts that could make a decision that uh, might be favorable to ethanol. But, um, you know, we have 39 such, uh, such requests still pending for 2018, and uh, right now uh, we've heard nothing from the agency that they're going to, uh, change course on that at all. We probably are going to see those handed out here before too long. And meanwhile, we've seen uh, other um, uh, action taken. Uh, Representative Bill Flores of Texas reintroducing legislation that would prevent uh, the RFS blending obligations from requiring ethanol to make up more than 9.7% of the total volume of gasoline uh, to be sold right. in the U.S. in a given year. It just seems like uh, there are a lot of battles being fought, uh, battles we thought, uh, you know, have already been fought in the past are coming back again now. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I don't know what kind of traction that particular piece of legislation is going to have, but it definitely does keep the, the idea that, uh, you know, there's still, there still people out there trying to change the RFS, in fact, eliminate the RFS, Um and, you know, if we went to that sort type of a situation where it would limit, nine, you know, ethanol volumes to 9.7%, um, it would really make it difficult for E15, E85, uh, advanced biofuels. I mean, we're still looking at, uh, you know, a substantial potential out there for those markets yet. And, uh, you know, it really is kind of one of those things that never seems to go away. I think, you know, that legislation probably will come up at some point through some committees again and may even get a House vote at some point. Um, but from what I'm hearing, you know, there's really no indication that there's a, a big, you know, swell of, of support for it. And so, um, you know, EPA is going to be coming out with possible reset of the RFS as it is. And so, uh, would, you know, we kind of have to see what, what that might be. And maybe that's going to be more important going forward. All right, Todd, as always, uh, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Yeah, thanks very much, Mike. Take care. DTN reporter. Todd Neely. Well, more reaction to the lifting of the metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico. What does it mean for the dairy industry? We'll talk with Shauna Morris, Vice President of Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation, next on AOA. Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about. The one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level dawn reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust, everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. To learn how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 
There's a difference between field experts and experts in the field. At FS, we're experts in the field. Our crop specialists are driven to maximize every acre and bring the latest agronomic technologies and innovations to your farm. Whether recommending the appropriate hybrid or variety, nutrient management for optimum growth, or advice on disease and pest management, our crop specialists are always focused on pointing your operation forward. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association, we've heard some people now speculating that the window is closing on getting USMCA passed this year. Do you think we're, we're in that tough a shape? I still think that we have some opportunities to, to push it through this year. I know that there's some rhetoric out there and the window's closing and there are some that are getting frustrated about one side or the other doing this or that. But I think if everybody steps back and they realize the importance of Canada and Mexico, they're going to say, hey, this is a good deal. It improves that relationship. It cleans up some issues we've had before. There are a couple of placeholders, specifically on biotech, that just weren't in the original agreement that are really beneficial. So I think that this is a positive agreement. Agriculture certainly wants it. And we're pushing on members of Congress to say, hey, let's Let's move forward with this agreement. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, to make our country safer, to leave the planet we've been given just a little better biofuels and oil alternatives solutions for a brighter more sustainable world get inspired with us visit poet.com what if you had a medical emergency away from home what you need is mobile help america's premier mobile medical alert system most systems only work at home but with mobile help you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button i press the button and lo and behold the emergency came within minutes mobile help did save my life no question about that call mobile help now for a free color brochure we'll send you everything you need including the base station the patented mobile device the waterproof pendant and wrist button you can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial there's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract for a limited time you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase remember mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure Sure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. U.S. agriculture celebrates the lifting of metal tariffs against Mexico and Canada. That includes the U.S. dairy industry, part of that celebration. Joining us now is Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Shauna, thank you for being with us. Tell us the impact of those tariffs on U.S. dairy exports. And now that they are are lifted, uh, give us an idea of what that now means moving forward for U.S. dairy producers. Well, thanks, Mike. Happy to be here today. We're absolutely elated that we finally have a resolution on this issue. The Mexican retaliatory tariffs on our cheese exports have been a heavy hang, uh, particularly in terms of companies' certainty with their most important export market in Mexico and the resulting flowback to farmers that have been forced to bear the brunt of 20 to 25 percent retaliatory tariffs on those products over the last uh, several months here since last summer. Uh, we also think that in addition to getting back to duty-free trade with our biggest foreign customer, we're really happy about the momentum that we think that helps to build for moving USMCA forward. There's a lot of dairy benefits in that agreement, and we're eager to see Congress work through the remaining issues that have been identified as key political priorities to try to get to a, a positive approval of this in short order here. Yeah, lifting of these tariffs was seen as um, uh, 
critical towards getting USMCA passed, right? It, would, it was hard to imagine it could pass without these tariffs being lifted. I think that's an excellent way to put it. There certainly were a number of leading and, and quite, uh, quote, quite most notably, I'd probably say, of course, Chairman Grassley of the Senate Finance Committee, uh, that were insistent that this was a, a need to need to get peace in order to get to a positive result. Uh, we recognize it's not the only one, and there's some other elements that need to fall into place here too that need some hard work, likewise. Uh, but certainly having this one tackled and out of the way is fantastic for our exports uh, and positive for the momentum and the direction that we hope USMCA will move in. So as we look at immediate impact on dairy exports to Mexico and Canada, you mentioned uh, the impact it has on being able to uh, move more U.S. cheese into Mexico, but it also when we look north to Canada, impacts uh, our sales of, of yogurt into that market, doesn't it? It does. Uh, that one probably has, has been certainly, a, I'd say, a smaller piece compared to the Mexico cheese slice of it. We export uh, roughly $2 million worth of yogurt uh, to Canada, and that had been subject to their retaliatory tariffs as well. Uh, just a benchmark for comparison. I think the reason that the Mexico slice has dominated mine so much more for dairy has been that that's in the neighborhood of about $400 million a year. Uh, but it's good to see both those pieces put to rest. We're talking with Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Uh, Shauna, as we look at USMCA and uh, the prospects of it passing uh, of course, dairy was such a big part of the negotiation of this deal, especially looking for improvements in the, the trade situation with Canada. Uh, refresh our memories. What's in USMCA that uh, the U.S. dairy industry feels, while not maybe solving all the issues, at least is an improvement over what we have currently? I think the way you put it is exactly the way that we see it as well as a plus up on what we have right now under NAFTA, which has been great for our trade with Mexico, but of course hasn't done very much in terms of opening up opportunities to the Canadian dairy market or dealing with some of the trade distorting policies that have been so problematic for our exports uh, as a result of what Canada does on that front on dairy. So the deal for us uh, takes a number of strides forward. Uh, certainly on market access, there's an expansion of what the U.S. can ship duty-free under tariff rate quotas for a variety of different dairy products, so more than what we would have access to right now. Uh, equally important, uh, it's not even more so, I'd say, are the reforms and disciplines to Canadian dairy pricing policies that USMCA makes, and that was specifically in response to our industry's deep concerns about Canada's Class 7 pricing policy, the impact that was having not just on bilateral trade between us and Canada, but on Canada's dumping of milk powder exports onto global markets. And then the last piece that's really dairy-focused in this agreement and a good step forward was a new precedent established with Mexico through one of the side letters to the deal, providing assurances about our ability to continue to ship a wide variety of commonly named cheese products, things like mozzarella, provolone, cheddar, and others. And that's really aimed at countering European Union efforts to restrict our ability to ship cheeses and compete head-to-head -head with them. So we think that's a great model to build from in other trading partner markets moving forward as well. And we cannot stress enough the importance of exports um, to agriculture in general, but the dairy industry in particular, especially as the industry is going through a, a very down uh, time right now uh, and producers really struggling. Exports really a big part of moving out of that situation and to better times. They absolutely are. Uh, last year we exported 16% of our milk production in the form of different dairy products that were sold to markets around the world. Uh, and as you said, it's really a critical element in being able to help pull farmer prices back in the right direction. Uh, we certainly saw that work the opposite way last year uh, when it seemed like uh, the, the clouds were parting and we were beginning to see prices trending uh, back where we'd like them to go only to see the retaliatory tariffs hit in a double whammy uh, from Mexico and then shortly thereafter from China. So having one of those solved and off the decks is a big weight off of that uh, price pressure. Uh, and certainly the China resolution will remain a big priority for us as well, given how important that market is for dairy exporters. 
And give us an update on the tariffs and the retaliatory tariffs that are in place now, how that's impacting our dairy exports to China. Well, thanks for that. Our dairy exports, unfortunately, have taken a very sizable hit to China while the retaliatory tariffs have been in effect. Uh, China's two waves of retaliation that were imposed last year collectively cover virtually all dairy products that we ship uh, at tariff levels that, uh, retaliatory tariff levels that go up to 25 percent. That's our highest levels. Uh, in the first quarter of this year, just by way of example, we saw our exports drop uh, for dairy export volumes by over 40 percent. Well, dairy exports from a number of other exporters, uh, so collectively China's imports actually grew by double digits. So it's clear that China's market's still growing. They're still dairy hungry and need even more year over year, but it's other suppliers that are benefiting from that at our expense. Uh, We're keen to see a resolution to these issues so that we can uh, move forward and export more product again to China uh, and see a number of the problems that have been identified in the discussions with China dealt with positively. And with talks uh, starting up with Japan, what is the potential of that market for U.S. dairy producers? Japan's already a top market for us. And so when we look at the prospects of an FTA, I'd rank that as right, uh, right at the top of the list in terms of the most important new free trade agreement partner that the U.S. could secure. We're very strongly supportive of the administration's pursuit of that deal. Uh, we're looking, like many others in agriculture, at ensuring that we don't slide backward over the next few years. Key competitors, Europe and New Zealand and Australia, have their own FTAs in place now with Japan and are beginning to phase in the benefits of those. That's going to give us a run for our money. Uh, as the years move on here in not too short order, uh, we want to make sure that negotiations are focused on uh, referencing what Japan's already done in those prior trade treaties and then looking for areas where we can really go above and beyond that to make sure that we're competitive and have preferential access to such a large dairy importing market. So that's already a good market for us. So yet two goals there is to maintain what we have and then hopefully even increase market share in Japan. Absolutely. Are we? How much of a disadvantage are we? You mentioned those other trade agreements. We're not in TPP, and these other countries have deals. How much of a disadvantage does that put us in Japan? Even though we're already, we are doing good business there. Uh, how much more could we possibly do? It varies right now, product by product, uh, since there's so many different dairy tariff uh, types of dairy products that are covered by the terms of the FTA treaty. I'd say right now our exporters are at a slight disadvantage, you know, a couple percentage points or so, give or take. Uh, the real concern is if we're not moving very quickly to bridge that gap uh, and then teeing up the timeline of when our treaty needs to take effect, that those gaps become wider and wider uh, so that by the five-year mark it's clear we're at a very sizable disadvantage uh, and losing a large chunk of our market share in the process. On the other hand, uh, there's expectations that Japan will continue to grow, uh, particularly for cheese needs. It's been an expanding market and still an expectation for more potential on the upside in the years to come. All right. Shauna Morris, Vice President, Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Thank you, Shauna, for joining us on AOA. Talk 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 There's a lot of talk coming from the makers of wheat fungicides these days. And some of them are really talking up some pretty big claims. But when you eliminate the fungicides that are Johnny-come-latelys, the ones without a proven track record, and the ones from makers who consider wheat to be just an afterthought, there's really only one left to talk about. The one you know and can trust. Caramba fungicide from BASF. It gives you best-in-class head scab suppression, top-level dawn reduction, and excellent control of late-season foliar diseases. And all of that gives you a proven yield advantage over untreated infected wheat acres. Caramba fungicide from BASF. For time-proven performance you can trust, everything else is just... Talk, 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 talk. Talk, talk, talk. To learn how Caramba fungicide can help your wheat's yield potential, talk to your BASF representative. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. 
Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we are rallying on this Tuesday session. July corn futures continuing their rally for the seventh straight session, as yesterday's crop progress numbers show that only 49% of the nation's corn crop was in the ground as of Sunday, far less than the five-year average of 80%. In the Corn Belt, Illinois, 24% planted on corn versus the five-year average of 89%. Weather patterns across the central U.S. showing no signs of easing up on heavy rain potential for the final couple of weeks of May. In corn futures, an hour into the trading day, July contract up eight and a half at 397 and three quarters. December at 411 and a half, up seven. Soybean futures, July up 11 at 842 and three quarters. November 869 up 11 and a quarter. Chicago wheat, July up 11 and a quarter at 489 and a half. Kansas City wheat, July up 14 and three quarters at 449 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat, July up nine at 552 and a half. September up eight and a half at 561. Cotton futures, December contract down 100 points at 6665. Live cattle, June down a dime at 111.25. August near unchanged, up two cents per hundred weight at 108.55. Feeder cattle, August contract down 67 at 144.10. Cash cattle, bids and asking prices not fully established yet on the week in the central and southern plains. Lean hog futures, June down a dollar five at 90.70. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up 141. S&P up 18, June crude oil down a dime. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Let's talk markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, thanks for joining us. I think finally... Uh, the uh, the weather and the planning delays have have been able to get the attention of the traders in the markets, right? I mean, finally they're realizing these numbers are are so far behind where we normally are, where even the five-year averages are, that even the markets are taking note. Yeah, good morning. 
morning, Mike. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, we've talked, it seems like, for years about is there any good news, and, and this is sort of a good news, bad news story. I hate to put it that way, but the markets are paying attention. I mean, and you start, and, I, and I've done some, you know, done some work looking at, you know, 93 is an analogous year, looking at 2013 is an analogous year, and it certainly would indicate, particularly in the 93 sort of reaction, uh, market reaction, that, you know, we are, you know, we have a we have ups, a lot more upside if you look at a 93-type scenario. You know, 2013, maybe not quite as much, but we're certainly now seeing the market react to that and thinking about what is the impact on on the supply-demand situation, uh, what is, and then what is the impact on ending stocks and, therefore, you know, uh, price. <clears throat> and it looks look positive. At, when you look at states, they're so far behind. <laughs> Illinois, only 24% yeah. corn planted. Indiana, 14% corn planted. Yep. I mean... Uh, we're talking about the heart of uh, uh, corn production here is so far behind. Um, yep. And then, you know, the question has been, well, are we going to see some switching uh, from corn acres to bean acres? When you look at the weather forecast for the next couple of weeks, you have to yeah. wonder, it has to be more in the prevent plant uh, category, I would think, than a switching of corn to beans in a lot of places. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've had a lot of questions about prevent plant already, and I think, you know, that's the calculation farmers have to be um, starting to make here, and you know, you're getting to the point now on corn. You start looking at prevent plant dates, you know, across Iowa, Illinois, and we're going to we'll focus on Illinois, Indiana. That's where it's really bad, and and you've got a situation there where it may be the best your best option may be to, to take the prevent plant and move on. Um, you know, beans have come up in price, obviously, and so there is maybe you could look at 870 beans on the board and think maybe there's some potential there uh, to make to plant some beans, but. The weather forecast doesn't look very promising that you're going to get beans in on a timely manner as well. Um, and so there is a lot of, and and I would certainly, I think, as we probably would all urge producers, you know, be in touch with your crop insurance agent and make sure you get, th- you know, go through the math and all the different options from a prevent plant perspective because it can make a huge difference in what that payout would be depending on what you do. But, yeah, you kind of have to wonder about beans. Now, we don't need any more beans right now. We've got plenty of beans in stocks. But it does does call into question, you know, whether um, beans are going to be the, you know, are going to be an answer. They may not be because you may not be able to get done. You know, so I, we'll see. We'll see where that all goes. So we're sitting here May 21st, and yep. nationwide we have 49% of the corn crop planted, 19% of the bean crop planted. Uh, you know, yep. normally we'd be at 80% on corn and uh, uh, like, what, 47% uh, on beans. You know, the other thing we have to look beans, at. Yeah. The other thing we have to look at, too, Steve, is, you know, we're, we're focused on getting these uh, crops planted, but the, I think we also have to look at the impact on yields. I mean, some of these fields, yeah, may have been planted, but they're standing in water. There's cold weather. I think we have to start thinking what what's the yield uh, impact going to be on this, uh, even on the acres that are planted. Well, and I think, that, you know, one thing we'll just throw in, too, is you do, do, you, do you do some replanting if you've got some corn already in the ground? Um, and you get some corn washed away. I think you have to think about that as well. I don't, you know, that's a that's something I'm sure some people are thinking about in some states in the western part of the Corn Belt. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 as we all remember our agronomy lessons from school, you know, you start getting later in May, that potential yield starts to starts to d- decline. And when you look at '93, that that yield decline was almost a full standard deviation below trend, which at the time was you know close to 25 to 30 bushels. So that's a that's a big drop in corn yield, and, and the impact on the balance sheet is pretty significant if you get that sort of drop in yield. But I think the only thing where 93 was also a delayed planting, but a lot of their rain came later in June, July, as as us old folks remember. So there's there's that extreme if you lose you know you lose 30 bushels you know off the trend line yield. You look in the 2013 experience, and we're and we're lagging behind that experience too, which was a lagger. Um, you know the. The yield there was about it was just a couple bushels below trend, so it was it was okay. It wasn't as a serious a serious as a yield issue there, but the fact is it was more of a trend line yield versus a a um, you know a, a serious deficiency in yield like it was in '93. But you do if you go back to trend line, you are certainly going to start slashing bushels off that ending stocks. Now the the good news is that yeah you are taking. Five, six hundred million bushels off ending stocks, but you're still not taking enough off to get, you know, a big move up in prices like I think some people would hope. 
uh, but you are still looking at those numbers, you know, in a, two th- a 2013 scenario, you know, today, you're probably going to get it. You are in the area where you sh- where we are trading right now and a little bit higher. You know, you are above $4 on these corn, and that's where you should be in that sort of a scenario. So the market, in my re- in my view, looking at corn, I'm focusing on corn here, is, is trading fairly and maybe, you know, is in the range it should be trading with these sort of, you know, sort of issues in front of us. So, you know, I think that's, you know, I think from a producer, that's you have to reward the market, giving you an opportunity here. We're talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo Agri Finance. Steve, let's say if we're sitting here two weeks from now and we're still yep. way be- behind, which we're probably going to be on, on corn planting, okay. uh, what yep. is, uh, well, let's look at where we think that corn price could go. Yeah, and I think, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna back you up just one other step. I think producers, you know, if we had talked to producers two weeks ago and and they would have said, if I could just get a four in front of that D's corn, I'd sell some corn. And I think most mm-hmm. of them would say, yeah, I would do that. So now the market's giving the opportunity. So let's 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 reward the market for what it's giving. You know, if we're two weeks down the road and we're still in this poor sort of position, I, I don't. Well, I sure hope not. I mean, I I think farmers would rather plant and work and put crops on the ground but you know i do think you've got now you've got numbers up in that mid four dollar area on the d on d's corn that will be trading that area so you've got another 30 40 cents to the upside probably from here um but i would certainly coach to use a compliance term in the bank is that think about what you have to sell uh, whether it's old crop or new crop and you know and reward the market because it's giving you an opportunity you don't have to sell it all here sell a little bit here sell a little bit more at a higher price a little bit more, even a higher price. You know, you know, try to average up your prices or your, you know, your, your selling price, because the market's giving that action. And you don't know. You know, we could come back. You know, Mother Nature could come back here in a week and shut us all off, and we get dry and we get it all done, and the market relaxes pretty dramatically. So reward the market when you have that opportunity, and think about that from a margin. You know, managing those margins, then about how high it goes. So. You know, I think those are things to be thinking about and, you know, contemplating which, how you want to do your marketing. Yeah, we know how wild weather markets can be. Yep. And and when we're talking about these higher prices, I know there are farmers saying, well, it doesn't do me any good if I don't have anything to sell, if I can't plant it or grow anything, right. there, you know, or yep. I've lost what I've already uh, even, you know, in some cases, farmers lost what they had in storage uh, with the flooding and things like that. That's but correct, yeah. Could we be looking, though, at a $5 corn scenario? I think it's it is potential. Uh, the potential's there if everything keeps lining up and we don't get this crop in the ground. Now we've never done that per se. I mean, we always tend to seem to get the crop in one way or the other. You know, the big progress typically has been this past week. You know, really was really the week we needed to see the big progress. And you look at history; it has been. So you could potentially see that. Um, but I think the other thing to think about is yes, for those who have have been flooded out. Um, they're not going to have a crop to sell, and that's a disaster. Those who have been flooded out both, you know, from this year's crop and, you know, last year's crop they had in storage, like we've seen across the, you know, western Iowa and Nebraska, um, that's a disaster as well. But I think the other thing to think about is, and, and I understand, you know, for those we're, we're extremely, our thoughts go out to them, but I think looking for everyone else, and, and I think you bring it up very well. It's a weather market, and you look at where the charts are set up. It's been a volatile up and down. So reward that market today when you can, but also think about the next year or even the next two years. Reward the market for what it's given you, and you know, and you know, look at that as an opportunity to maybe lock in some margins farther down the road. Um, you know, could we get another wet spring next year? Yeah, we sure could. But you know, let's you know think about that and, and talk to the people who that you trust to talk about how you take advantage of a market, a weather market. And you said it very well in your question. Weather markets are volatile up and down, and you don't know when that dime's going to change, and it could change that, that quickly. Meanwhile, on wheat, uh, we know there's some good wheat potential out there, but some of yep. that crop is being threatened by disease and wet, severe weather, too. Yeah, and that's, you know, I think, you know, part of this wheat is following corn up, and that's not atypical to see wheat and corn follow each other around. But I mean, I, and I just just a shout out to Oklahoma listeners. Uh, boy, our thoughts are with you all uh, this morning. Is you've been through a couple three days of horrible weather, 
um, yeah, you've got a wheat in that part of the world, in Texas and Oklahoma, and I'm going to focus on Oklahoma, that's just getting pounded um, and probably demanding, you know, going to probably damage quality. Uh, like you said, disease is going to be an issue. And so the wheat market, and you've seen Kansas City hard red winter wheat, you know, respond accordingly. And, you know, we've always we've always said all year we've been disappointed and we've been been sort of amazed at how deep or how low Kansas City wheat got. But we also said in the same breath is that this is a market that can spring back and be pretty volatile to the upside, and that's exactly what we're seeing right now. And so I think probably on wheat you've got some more opportunities here. All right, Steve, we'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot. Yep, no problem. Good to talk to you all. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Let's talk about USMCA. We've heard labor unions say they won't support it. We've heard Nancy Pelosi bring up uh, some issues. Is this uh, just the normal give and take of this kind of a, uh, you know, uh, before you get to a vote on a big deal like this? Or are these legitimate deal breakers that could keep it from passing? If they're talking about going back to the negotiating table with Canada and Mexico, those countries aren't stupid enough to do it. Uh, and if we, if they're proposing that, then they're proposing that we won't have any credibility dealing with any country, including China right now, if we're on the cusp of a good agreement with China. So uh, if they, but if they can do some things by side letters or annexes to the agreement, uh, then I'm willing to sit down and, and talk to them. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers, and like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to make the air cleaner, 
to make our country safer, to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels and oil alternatives, solutions for a brighter, more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Clean. Wash hands and utensils to avoid spreading bacteria when preparing food. Separate. Use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Cook. You can't tell it's done by how it looks. Always use a food thermometer. Chill. Keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots to talk about with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, thanks for joining us today. The Senate Ag Committee holding a hearing on, on climate change. And certainly, I know that uh, you've submitted comments. You want uh, the committee to realize the, the positive benefits that biofuels can have on this uh, issue and make sure that uh, we get the uh, uh, credit for what uh, is being done and can be done with increased use to biofuels. Well, that, that's right, Mike. Good morning. Always, always a pleasure to join you. You know, I think given the state of the rural economy, farmers are naturally going to be leery of um, any congressional action on climate change, that it will just add costs at a time when, when we can least afford that. I guess the point we're trying to make to Congress is this could be an economic opportunity if you do it right and you reward farmers for the practices they're doing to sequester carbon, if you reward renewable fuel producers um, for the fact that, that ethanol and biodiesel are much better for the planet in terms of greenhouse gas emissions than, than fossil fuels. So I guess just trying to educate members of Congress that this doesn't have to be uh, a, a stick approach that that you can address climate in a in a carrot approach an incentive approach that rewards folks for the good things they're doing yeah opportunity versus burden because i think in the past when these kind of things have come up it seems like it it would become all the talk centered on what agriculture can't do or the burden that would be placed on agriculture rather than seeing the opportunities that are there uh to what uh, is being done already. I, I think this whole discussion, as we look to uh, people are talking more about going green and uh, where we go with energy and fuel, this ought to be right in the wheelhouse of the biofuels industry. And I think the concern is that uh, they're going to look somewhere else rather than what we have right here in front of us. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, that's exactly what they did 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was 10 years ago that Congress first took up in a big way, this climate issue. And at the time, I think they made the fatal uh, mistake, uh, members of Congress did, that, that they labeled agriculture as part of the problem. And a lot of the policy proposals that came out would have, would have put, as you put it, more burdens on farmers, more regulations on, on agriculture. And those efforts in Congress um, died, in part because they, they did put a target on agriculture's back. I hope Congress learned lessons from that, and if they're going to go down this road, we need to be doing things to reward um, agriculture and renewable fuels for the good work we're doing. Maybe not perfect, but the good work we're doing today to address um, reduced greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, RFS waivers. EPA often cites uh, court uh, uh, rulings saying they have to grant these waivers because of that of that court decision, but now we hear that uh, they were doing it before the court decision ever came down. What's your reaction to that? It's just remarkable. It just makes me want to pull the the hair out of my out of my head, Mike. 
so many times, whether it was Administrator Pruitt or Assistant Administrator Wierum or the staff at EPA would hide behind the, these court rulings, especially the Sinclair ruling, um, which EPA lost in, in August of 2017, saying, well, the court ruling says we have to grant these waivers. But you're right, we're, we're learning now through some court documents and other lawsuits that actually EPA months and months before uh, the Sinclair decision came down changed the rules when it came to these small refinery exemptions, sort of um, shining light on what we suspected was the case, and now we're, we're sort of learning that uh, through this discovery process in the, in the court case. But it, it just is aggravating, and it's a reminder that EPA still hasn't corrected the, the, the work they've done on this. They, they haven't reallocated the waivers. We're still going down the same road. Last week, I talked with um, the principal deputy administrator for EPA and asked her two questions. said, how confident are you we'll get E15 approved for this summer? She said, quite confident. But then I said, what about the reallocation of gallons lost due to these waivers? Uh, would that be in your proposal that's under review right now for RVO levels for next year? She could not have dodged that question any quicker. I mean, she danced around that and just basically refused to answer it. Uh, I'm afraid we know the answer, that uh, there's not going to be that reallocation in this proposal. I'm afraid you're right. Uh, We met with with, uh, Ann Isdall during our fly-in as well, so I know who you're talking about. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, they are confident they're going to get the C-15 rule done, and that's great, and they deserve credit for that if it gets done on time and done right. But the net effect of E-15 year-round, but... 2.61 2.61 billion gallons of small refinery exemptions that aren't reallocated uh, means that we're still in a hole when it comes to the renewable fuel standard and the kind of demand that, that should be coming from that program. And so we've got to keep the pressure on EPA and the White House uh, to correct this. And meanwhile, we have ongoing battles that we've been through before. We have a uh, reintroduction of uh, a bill in Congress again to limit uh, the uh, ethanol, what, to 9.7% uh, of the fuel supply. Uh, these are old battles that keep coming back up. Yeah, you know, the oil companies aren't going to quit sort of um, pick picking at us here and there. Thankfully, those kinds of bills in Congress have never really picked up traction um, and I think there's an opportunity for us with these new members of Congress and the, the climate issue, uh, which we discussed earlier, to sort of turn the page and help educate members of Congress about how um, renewable fuels, if done right, can be a boost to the, to the economy, um, both for rural America and consumers, but it can also be um, part of the solution to reducing greenhouse gases. And so... If oil companies want to play those same old games about limiting, restricting ethanol use, they can. I I think the future is one that, in the long term, we're going to have much more renewable fuel use because of the positive story we have to tell and the the positive attributes we we bring to um, society. Great to talk with you again, Brian. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. That wraps it up. Busy program today. Tomorrow we're going to look at soybean export opportunities in this uh, difficult trade environment. Talk about delayed planning. We're going to talk about uh, trade talks with China. Hope you'll join us on AOA.